Hello, and welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast for Edgewood Church in Danville, Illinois. This week at Edgewood. Um, Have you guys ever heard of rote memory? R-O-T-E? No? Uh, Rote memory you're familiar with, and I think you may have seen that up there. Uh, If I were to ask you to say this state, who's heard this before? Eric? Um, somebody say it for me. Now, there's more to that, isn't there? But I don't remember the rest. Like, some people know there's, like, the, a whole, like, other part of this. Like, except da 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 Like, there's a whole other, like, section to it. Does anybody know that? No? Okay, good. I'm not the only one. Um, it's interesting, though. Now, some of you said it a little bit faster. Some of you said it a little bit slower. But did you, did you notice, if we were to say this together, let's all say this together. Now, interesting. Did I tell you how to say that? I before E, except after C. How did you know to do that? Wrote memory. That's what wrote memory. Uh, how about this one? Uh, say this one together. A E I O U and sometimes Y, right? Those are the vowels. Uh, how about this one? <laughs> Oh, that's just me that knows that one? Yeah. X equals negative B plus or minus the square root of B squared minus 4AC all over 2A. You guys didn't know that one? Oh, man, I guess it's just got to be a math teacher, I guess. How about this one? Say it. A, B, C, D, E. Okay, I don't want to hear the whole thing. That's what rote memory is. There's things that you repeat often enough in the human mind. We just naturally fall into this this pattern, right? And if it's a good pattern, it sticks. And guess what you get to do? You get to remember it, okay? Now, I'm telling you this because right in this passage, there is a section that scholars agree is, is and would have been a piece of rote memory for the Corinthians. I'll point it out when we get to it. But I wanted to set that stage for a part that's going on here. In fact, I'm going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 right at the beginning. He says, now I would remind you, brothers. Okay, so 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1. I would remind you, brothers. Now, this word remind, sometimes it's translated inform. But I believe it's because of the tense that it's translated, in this case, remind. Some Bibles even have it still as inform. But the idea is that I'm telling you something. And you can tell from the context, it's something that they have heard. Okay? So he's going to remind them of something that he has taught them. So brothers, brothers and sisters, uh, he says, I'm going to remind you of something. And the thing that he's going to remind them of is of the gospel I preach to you. So the thing that he wants to remind them of is the gospel. Now, just for those of you that like to know where I'm headed, because some of you, I think, like it when I do this, I'm going to do some commentary, verses 1 through 11. In the middle of the commentary, I have a little side rabbit trail I'm going to do. I'm going to come back to the text. I'm going to finish up with verse 11, and then I've got three points of application. Are you guys good with that? Okay, some of you like to know that, like, how timing me? How long is it going to take? Um... But you need to dig into the commentary portion of this passage to understand where we're going here. Okay? 
So the first piece of the puzzle I put in is that you're going to hear some rote memory. And he's getting ready to talk about it. And this is what he, I'm, remember what I taught you, he says. And the thing that I taught you about was the gospel. Now, it's interesting to me, though not that important. It's interesting to me that the words that are used here, the Greek word for gospel is, it's where we get the word evangelize. Evangelion, it's said as a, as a, as a noun, Right? What's interesting is the word, the Greek word that's translated preached right here, it's a different version of the same word. It's evangelize. So he's literally saying of the evangelion that I'm going to, that I evangelized you with. It's the same word. Um, it'd be kind of like if I said, you remember the message that I messaged you, right? It's kind of the same idea there, okay? So this is the thing, and he said, this is the gospel, the good news that I proclaim to you, I preach to you, I evangelize to you, I don't want you to forget it, I'm going to remind you of something important here, and it's the gospel that I preach to you, but not only did I preach it to you, you received it. So the people he's talking to, they heard it, but it didn't stop there. They received it. This word means they, they brought it in. They took it into themselves. They, they latched onto it, not just heard. They incorporated it into their lives. The gospel that I preached, you received. And now he says this, in which you stand, you've placed your feet, right? Firmly planted in the good news. And for good reason, it is the good news that they received. They're taking a stand on and by which you are being saved. Right? This good news. Now, this is an interesting phrase, don't you think? You guys okay? Did, you, did I lose Austin? No, I didn't know. Oh, okay, okay. It seemed like he was having trouble back there. And you guys are all so ADD. Everybody's like, what's going on, Beck? <laughs> what's, what's happening? <laughs> it was okay. Um, I'm sorry. I'm just as bad, I guess. Um, <clears throat> this is an interesting phrasing, though. I would say that most of you, when you talk about salvation, you would, you'll say, are you saved? Or have you been saved? Or you might say, um, I've been saved. In the Bible, you don't see saved. Sometimes you see it used that way. But quite often you see it used this way. Present tense. Being saved. This is an interesting way to phrase it. It's important to understand the Bible speaks of salvation in all three tenses, past, present, and future. We usually speak about it just in the one tense, don't we? I mean, we're talking about saved. You need to be, you, you need to get saved, right? Or uh, I've been saved. We, we talk about it as this event. The Bible does not talk about salvation as simply an event, something that happens. It talks about it in all three tenses. We have been saved, we are being saved. And then quite often, in fact, I think you'll be surprised if, now that I've made you aware of this. If you start reading through the Bible, you'll see that quite often it talks about it in future tense. For those who are saved and are being saved, they're going to be saved as well. And you're going to hear all those tenses. You have been. You've been saved from the condemnation brought about by your own sin. You're being saved from the power of sin. You will be saved on that last day from the power of death, the sting of death. And I think that's so, so important when we know people who have recently, we're talking about people who've passed, right? And there's hope that they will be saved. Have you ever, 
attached an if to your salvation. You know what I mean by that? I'm saved if... This is another way we don't talk quite often, but listen to what Paul says next. I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you. You received, in which you stand, you're being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you. You're going to continue to be saved if you hold fast to the word I preached to you. Hold fast can be translated as keep, retain, restrain, hold on to, possess. It can even be translated as hold fast like a captain of a ship maintaining a course. That gives me a good mental image. Can you see that? Holding fast. Have you ever seen you know, the, the captain of the ship and he's holding, the wind is blowing and he's got to maintain course and he's holding fast. That's the idea here. If you hold fast. So this word that I preached to you that you received in which you stand and you're being saved if you hold fast to this word that I preached to you. Do you talk about salvation that way? The Bible does. If you hold fast, you're going to continue to be saved. That seems weird to us, but I think it's hugely, hugely important. Because if the way we talk about salvation is different than the way the Bible talks about salvation, who ought to change? The Bible or us? <laughs> us, right? Maybe we ought to embrace the way the Bible talks about these sorts of things. Now, we're going to throw in here another, one more statement in this verse that I think is going to maybe surprise you. He says, unless, of course, you believed in vain. Unless you believe in vain. Now, how could one believe in vain? I believe, and I, I'm going to contend that what this is referring to is to whether or not the gospel is actually true. Is it actually true? Is this the truth? This gospel, is it the truth? If it's true, all this stuff applies. If it's not, what's the point? You, you wouldn't be believing in vain. What's the point of believing on this if it isn't true? Actually, literally true. Every time I talk about truth, I always think about Pontius Pilate. Jesus is talking to Pontius Pilate right before he goes to the cross. He's talking to Pilate, and one of the things he's taught, he finally says, because he keeps his mouth shut most of the time, but finally he says something. One of the things he says to Pilate, he says, he talks about himself being, Pilate says, you're a king, and he goes, uh, and he says, yes, I kind of bear witness to the truth. And those who are of the truth will listen to what I have to say. And Pilate responds with something that I think almost could have come out of today's paper. Pilate goes, what is truth? That was 2,000 years ago he said that. I believe there's such a thing as truth. There's things that are true and there's things that are not true. Two plus two equals four. If you are convinced that it equals something else, you're wrong. Two plus two is four. There's such a thing as truth. I don't care how firmly you believe it. But I really believe in my heart that two plus two is five. You might be sincere, but you're sincerely wrong. There is this thing called truth. Very 
Very important. Now, I'm going to come back to it. Hold that thought. We're building up some thoughts here. Verse 3. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. So you received it. I preached to you. You received it. I'm delivered. I delivered to you what I, I, I was at one point, he's saying, a recipient. I received it as well. But there's things that are first importance. And whatever you is you think is of really big importance, I think that you might be wrong on some counts. There are some things that are of first importance. And here comes the rote memory that scholars agree. This was something that he, Paul, probably taught them. They didn't have written all the written texts of Scripture. And so this was an important way to remember some important things. And here it comes. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. That He was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Now let me go back and look at each of those for just a second. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. He died. He was alive, and then he was dead. There's a, a Roman soldier that was even sent to make sure he was dead. He was hanging on the cross just to make sure that he was actually dead. This was part of their job, the executioners. They couldn't take him off the cross unless he was dead. And so he went up and he took a spear. And some of you know this, right? Took a spear and rammed it into his side. Probably broke that sack that's around the heart. And it talks about what came... I mean, he pierced his eye. That was... He was checking. Is he dead? Yeah, he's dead. <clears throat> I'm glad that's not how they check nowadays. Is he dead? I mean, but honestly, that's what they did. Yeah, he's dead. We can take him down. He was dead. It wasn't an act. He wasn't just passed out. You don't pass out from a spear in your heart, do you? You come back from things like that, spear in the heart. I mean, you're talking about all the, man, there's some things that, man, but it, spear in the heart, you're not coming back from that, are you? Only Jesus. He was dead. And it happened, amazingly enough, in accordance with these ancient documents, hundreds of years before he was there, was written. This, there's going to be this, King, who's also a suffering servant, he's going, to be, he's going to die. He's going to, in fact, the Bible even uses words hundreds of years before Jesus says he was pierced. I mean, just fulfilled. And so Paul has to memorize this. Christ died for, for this purpose, for our sins, in accordance with Scripture. He was buried. It was a tomb. It was owned by a man named Joseph of Arimathea. It was a real tomb. He was wrapped in a cloth. Embalming spices would have been put on his body. He would have been cleaned up, put on his body, wrapped up, placed in the tomb, dead. Then he was raised on the third day in accordance with, again, in accordance with scriptures. Rabbit trail time. Remember I told you I hit a rabbit trail? Timothy Keller puts it this way on this topic. He says, if Jesus rose from the dead, 
then you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said? I love that. Let me put it a different way. There's another guy dating back before Timothy Keller. He said it this way. If Christ is risen, then nothing else matters. If Christ is not risen, then nothing else matters. I really like that one too. That one, you got to chew on that one for a minute, don't you? Think about what he's saying. If, if, if there was this point in history where there was someone who, who made the claims that Jesus did and then was killed and put in a tomb, dead, and then came back, that changes everything. It's called by some scholars a trilemma. Now, you know what a dilemma is. I'm in a dilemma. Dilemma means like, I don't know what to do. One of the, what do you think, because you guys are so smart, what do you think a trilemma is about? And don't say, I have to try really hard. No. Try, drink, tricycle. Three, right? Three sides to something. Okay, so trilemma. There's, there's, there's three choices. And I'm going to tell you right now, I absolutely believe this. You have three choices with Jesus. You've got to go with one of these three options. Okay? Now, this, this trilemma was made famous by C.S. Lewis, but it actually dates back before his time period. Uh, the first one I have here is a guy named John Duncan. John Duncan, in 1859, put it this way. Christ either, choice number one, deceived mankind by conscious fraud. Okay? That, that's one option. Okay? Or, he himself was deluded and self-deceived. He was crazy. Or, he was divine. God. In the flesh. There is no getting out of this trilemma. And it's, it's inexorable. Don't worry about that word. You can't get out of it, okay? You, you got to go. If you actually read what Jesus says and what he teaches, those words, you have to make it. It's got to be one of these three. Another guy, you probably heard of this one, Watchman Nee. I think that's a really cool name, isn't it? First name, Watchman. Um, Watchman Nee put it this way. He said, first, this was in 1936. First, if he claims to be God and yet, in fact, is not he has to be a madman or a lunatic. See the same, right? Crazy. If you, if you had somebody going around, I'm God. If I did that, you'd go, you're crazy. <laughs> right? You're, no, Matt, you're not. You're, you need something. <laughs> straight jacket? Um, he claims to be God, and yet, in fact, is not. He has to be a madman or a lunatic. Second, if he is neither God nor a lunatic, he's got to be a liar. Deceiving others by his lie. I think some have done that, have they not, in history? They weren't crazy. They were pretty, pretty smart, man. They were developing a following. I am this. I mean, even think back way hundreds and hundreds of years ago, thousands of years ago, the pharaohs of old said they were God. They were not. Some of them were probably crazy. Others, I think, knew. I'm just a person, but people will, if I tell them I'm this, I will get their adoration. And so they lie. Develop a deception. Maybe some of them believe that. I don't know. The third, if he's neither of these, if he's not crazy, and he's not a liar, 
He must be God. What's the other option? You can only choose one of the three possibilities. If you do not believe that he is God, you have to consider him a madman. If you cannot take him for either of the two, you have to make, take him for a liar. There is no need for us to prove if Jesus of Nazareth is God or not. All we have to do is find out if he was a lunatic or a liar. If he's neither one of those, he must be the Son of God. That's Watchman Nee. Now, moving on to my favorite one, still on my rabbit trail, C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis, wonderful writer, brilliant. He says this, uh, this was in 1942, um, in his, it ended up in his book, Mere Christianity. Um, he says this, he says, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying <laughs> the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. Jesus loses. That's really fo- I'm trying to avoid us saying something as dumb as that, that people often say. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. There it is. Lunatic or liar. I love his phrasing, though. A lunatic on the level of a guy who says he's a poached egg. I am a poached egg. Can you imagine somebody doing it? I'm, I'm a poached egg. Where's my toast? <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I, it's crazy. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let, let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Now, it seems to me obvious that he was neither a lunatic nor a fiend. And consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was and is God. About eight years later, C.S. Lewis, writing about the same thing, said this, we may note in passing, he was never regarded as a mere moral teacher. He did not produce that effect on any of the people who actually met him. He produced mainly three effects. Hatred, terror, adoration. There was no trace of people expressing mild approval. I'll say it again. Christ is risen. Doesn't that become the defining factor? If somebody goes around saying they're God, wouldn't one of the the key moments be if somebody killed him? That's precisely what we have in the story of history. I love what happens next. So out of my rabbit trail, this sets up because what happens next, what Paul does next for me personally, as someone who is a lover of science, mathematics, and like I said, 
truth. Two plus two equals four. I, I love solid. This is real. This is true. These things are right. I like witnesses to things. I spend my days as a, as a dean. Somebody comes and tells me something. I take witness statements all the time. I'm like, I need a witness statement. Do you have anybody else that saw it? I'm not going to take your word for it. I mean, I want to know the truth. Listen to what Paul says next. This is the last phrase of the rote memory. He says this, and that he appeared to Cephas. You guys know who Cephas is? Who knows? Say it. Peter, yeah. And then to the 12. But he doesn't stop there. That's the end of his rote memory. But listen to what he says next. But then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. Most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Let's be honest. If you just made a claim that somebody rose up from the dead, and then you said, hey, I'm telling you, 500 people saw him, and most of them are still alive. Do you know what you're doing in that moment? You're saying, you could ask him. You're saying, this is a true historical fact. There's witnesses. It wasn't just a few people. 500 at one time, and most of them are still alive. Go ask them. This is a true historical event, as real as any other historical event, more real than some, I would say, that people have gotten wrong. This one happened. There's witnesses that have testified. It's been written down. It's been recorded. And then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. This is Paul writing. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. Paul, I think, as well. In fact, if you go back to those last couple of examples, he appeared to James. You guys know who, what, what James is talking about? It's not one of the disciples. You guys know what James is talking about? Yeah. So, so Jesus had this earthly brother. Before Jesus went to the cross, did, did James, was James a follower? Uh-uh. Let's be honest. Would you be if your brother was like, I'm God? <laughs> you might be going, well, you don't know my brother. Uh, but, um, but even if your brother was, in fact, that might even make it worse. If your brother was doing everything right, and then on top of doing everything right and being the, always obeying mom and doing everything you're supposed to do and never getting in trouble because you're doing everything you're supposed to do, and then one day your brother who's always doing everything right and you're trying to live up, and you can imagine your mom is always like, why can't you be more like Jesus? Uh, you, uh, you know, I mean, he's been my, but then one day you, your brother goes, I'm God. You're good. <laughs> I'll give you that one. And you know what? That's what it took. James was not a believer. But you know what happened after Christ died and then came back? I think James is one of the biggest testimonies to the reality of this true historical event because James went from, brother, you're crazy, to, I believe. I believe. And died in that belief. But then Paul himself, originally a skeptic, persecuted those who were following, eventually himself. And he, he says, it wasn't because somebody convinced me, he says, I, 
I saw him. I'm not worthy. It took that for me to believe. But I saw him, and now I do. And now I'm telling you, believe. It's a song. That's what Paul's saying. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. It wasn't purposeful, purposeless. It wasn't empty. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Though it wasn't I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach. And so you believed. Now, three points of application. The first one I have for you is this. You have not believed the gospel in vain. If you struggle with doubts, or if you're not quite convinced, or if you just, maybe you're thinking, this church thing is good, I'm really trying to clean up my act, or something like that, and don't waste your time doing any of that stuff. That's not what the gospel message is. The gospel message says, you're an absolute wretch of a sinner, and Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect life, died on the cross. He was He was killed. He died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried. He rose up again according to the scriptures. The gospel message is that we can't do it, but he did it, and we're just putting all of our confidence in him. But if you have doubts, you go, I don't know if that, I mean, is that really true? Or maybe you've been looking at church wrong. You've been thinking church is that place where you go when you're trying to get, be a better person. That's not what it is. That is not what it is. Jesus was not just a good moral teacher. He's our Savior. He's our Savior. And we come here to church because we believe that that true historical thing happened and we believe that's our only hope. You have not believed the gospel in vain. If you struggle with doubts, let me know. Honestly, if you're like, I hear what you're saying, Matt, but you know, first of all, please don't get your theology from movies and television, okay? I don't know if you know this, or even the internet. <laughs> Did you know that not everything on there is true? Did you guys know that? I mean, some of you are like, but I watched that Da Vinci Code thing, and man, that's, there's some sneaky stuff happening. I think those first, hogwash, all hogwash. None of it's true. You know what's true? The, those first, Disciples, they saw him dead. They saw him in a tomb. Then they saw him alive. And then they all got killed because they believed it so adamantly. That's the truth. There are thousands of copies of those, these old documents that have been written and maintained. And people have died to make sure. And I'm telling you, that's the truth. And you go, yeah, but there's a lot of other Gospels that uh, didn't, get, didn't make it in. And th No, that's not true. There aren't any other ones. But that movie said it. No, it's a movie. <laughs> Real life isn't like National Treasure, okay? You're not gonna, there's not a secret pair of glasses. You're like, oh, now I know the truth. That's not how it works, okay? God has maintained this truth for us. And I'm telling you, it's absolutely believable. I'm a person who likes solid, rock-solid truth. This is true. This isn't. I, I'm, I'm black and white. This is reality. That's what I want. I want to know the truth. I hate, I hate being tricked. I hate being deceived. I hate not knowing. I hate being on the outside. Like when everybody else has, knows what's really going on. I'm like, what's going on? I hate that feeling. 
I want to be down on what's really going on. And I'm telling you right now, those movies, those TV shows that are telling you that this is all made up or this, that, and there's other disciples and that Jesus actually wasn't even real, that he, he just passed out on the cross. And he, it's not, it's, it's a joke. None of that's true. History confirms more so than even some of the most famous names in history. Jesus is confirmed as genuinely someone who lived and walked this earth. It's confirmed by hundreds of sources that he died and was dead and put in a tomb. And then 500 people saw him alive again. And they believed it so out of it. was so true that it died for that belief. I get a little passionate about that, could you tell? But I, I'm telling you, it's just true. I get so fed up with the people like, yeah, but I think that, and, and there's, no, there's no basis for it. There's no basis for it. No, okay. Take it back in, Matt. Calm down. Number two. <clears throat> Not believe the gospel in vain, but number two. You, you must hold fast to the word of the gospel. This is confusing for some of you because you've been taught, you've grown up, like salvation is this thing that, that God does, and you're absolutely right, it is. But it's also something that the Bible talks about. Hold on. The Bible says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And it says, why? Because God is working in you both the will and to do according to His good pleasure. The, the only way I reconcile this idea, hold fast. The only way I reconcile it is uh, the example, I've given this example before. I always talk about my kids when they were, they were little, right? And I, I, I'd swing them around or like I'd, I'd hold on to them like this and fly them around the room. You guys remember that, right? Do we need to do it when we get home? <laughs> Maybe you can do it for me. I'm ready. Uh, <clears throat> one of you get on each side. Come on, let's do it, Dad. Um, but I can remember flying them around, doing these different things. They, I was, I'm not going to drop them. <laughs> I had them. It was all me. They, I think, knew that. And yet somehow they would also hold on. I can remember my favorite one was when I was flying them around and I put my thumbs up. Right? I've told you guys this before, right? Put my thumbs up and they would hold on to them. And I never told them to do this, but they would, I, you know, they'd go, they'd be sitting there in my hands and hold my thumbs up. You know, flying around the house, you know, as if they were actually steering me. They weren't steering me. But that captures in my head, I, I think, what's going on here. Look, we, like a, like a child, Hold fast to Jesus. Hold fast to what God is. That hold fast to this, this truth, the word. That's what it literally says. Hold fast to the word that was preached. You hold fast. Like white knuckled hold fast. You're not really worried because you know he's got you. But you still hold fast. Cling to it. If I wanted to dig into the theology behind it, I would say this. I would say that the reality is people who have been saved... Right? People who have been saved, that God has done a work in their heart and the Spirit is now dwelling in them. One of the signs that the Spirit of God is dwelling in you is that you are holding fast. Because that's what the Spirit does. It clings to the things of God. 
Don't let go. Finally, this. The gospel, that's what it says, by which you're being saved, this word of the truth, by which you're being saved, the gospel will save you. Now, this is my, this is my final point, and I'm going to end on this, but I, even this morning as I was sitting here, I was thinking there's so much more to this final point that, that I could go into because th this idea, what you're looking at on that screen right now, the gospel will save you. Besides the fact that Paul just said that, hold to the word of truth, by which you are being saved. I mean, he said it, so we know it's true. That's how it works, okay? So we know this. But sometimes there's those truths that you go, yeah, it's true, because that's what the Bible says, but then it starts to unpack in your head. Have you ever had something like that? And it's like, you're like pulling back these little layers, like, oh, this really is true. I mean, you knew it was true, but then you start figuring out the deep truths that are there. The gospel, the, the very message of the gospel saves you. Let me give you a couple of examples. Okay? Ready for a couple of examples? I use the ones that have to do with school because that's where I'm at all the day. You're right. I get kids come in, and I've said this word before they're knuckleheads. Okay? They do some dumb stuff. They do some really bad stuff, too. I could very easily, from my desk, look at those kids and say, what is wrong with you? One of the reasons I would say, the key reason why I don't, that I have opportunities, I'll, I'll quite often, I'll get a chance to bring this up with these kids, because I'll have them say, Mr. Harmless. They go, I like coming in here because you listen. That's one of the ways they'll put it. Or, I like coming in here because you, you understand. They'll put it that way. Uh, sometimes I do. I'm going to be honest. There's some things I do. I, I don't get it. But, uh, you know, but there, there's something that's happening that's, that's translating to them as this dean guy has grace for me. There's these other teachers that have seen me, and, and, and they, they see me, and they just, they just, and I'll have them tell me, they're like, man, that, that, he just hates me. I don't think that's probably true, but that's what they get. That's what they see. That's what they perceive. And I want to tell you right now, it's not because of anything in me. It's because of the, what, I'm, what I'm putting right here, the gospel, the, the good news. Think about what the good news is. Jesus, who was perfect, died on the cross for our sins. That's the piece of remember. He died for our sins, according to the scriptures, was buried, and he was raised on the third day in accordance with scriptures. That truth, that Jesus, who was perfect, died for my sins, that reality gives me, because I believe it's true, it gives me grace for whatever it is that they're doing. Even the things that I would normally go, I don't get it at all. I still have grace. Why? Because the, that's the gospel. I mean, it's all based on that for me. It's all based on that for you. How can you sit in judgment and critique and look down and belittle the people of this world that you look at and you go, what, what's wrong? with? How can you do that if you believe the gospel? The gospel will save you from that. The gospel will save you from that. 
you will find the more you believe and understand and dig into and examine and, and discover little facets of the gospel, you will find you're not even the same person you used to be. You'll find yourself full of grace and compassion and patience. Because there's this truth that's infiltrating the neurons of your brain and you're seeing the great, you're seeing all these things that God has done for you and you start to change your perspective and you start loving those little phrases like I'm just a beggar showing other beggars where there's bread. You just love those things because you recognize and that's exactly what Paul did. He says, he said, I was a lost, I was a persecutor of the church, but it didn't stop me. I worked harder than the rest of them. See, if you see yourself for what you really are, it will motivate you if you understand the gospel. If you don't understand the gospel, you'll come to church and go, I've just been so bad, I can't do anything for God. You don't get the gospel yet. If you come and you go, I'm pretty good, and I don't know, you know, these people here. You don't get the gospel yet. You, you, haven't, you haven't learned it. You haven't heard it, really, I don't think. And I would question whether or not you've even received it. If you walk through this life full of pride and arrogance about who you are and what you've accomplished, I would, I'm telling you right now, I would highly doubt that you even have a clue what the gospel message even is. For those of you that were wondering, trying to figure out what I'm saying, I'm saying, I don't think you were saved. <laughs> And I don't think you were saved because you're not being saved. If you're being saved, that's one of the best evidence that you were saved. If you're a jerk, arrogant, impatient, you need to start questioning seriously. Am, do I even believe it? Do I even know what it is? Now, we're going to close with this. Let me go back. Let me get my clicker here. Let me go back to our piece of rote memory. Way back at the beginning. There we go. Oh, you know what? It includes the part with Peter. I got to go find that one now. There we go. For I delivered to you a first, as of first importance what I also received, that Christ, here it is, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with Scripture, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and He appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Okay? Let's say that together. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with Scriptures, that He was buried that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Do you believe that? It happened. It's true. He died. He was buried. He rose. And there's witnesses. It really happened. So let's think and remember that. We're going to do that together today. Um, what does Christ say? when he breaks this bread. Anybody tell me? Yeah, well, both. I heard both parts. Um, right? This is my body. 
right? So picture Christ with his disciples before he goes to the cross. It's about to happen. They're still not quite seeing it. They're still thinking, man, he's a great rabbi. He's teaching us all kinds of things and just turning our world upside down. We're figuring out new things. And then here he is. There's sometimes he says stuff I don't quite get. And then right, right before he goes to the cross, he's like, I'm, I'm, I mean, he's saying it pretty clear. They're still not getting it. I'm going to die. I'm going to be there. I'm going to come back. Okay, Jesus, that's, I don't think that's going to happen. Right? And, then, and then he's sitting there at this meal. They had the bread. You can see him with them one more time. And I think he's thinking, they're going to see me, what they will think is broken. You can picture him, this is my body. And he holds up the bread to his disciples, which is broken for you. And he breaks and You can just picture him breaking off pieces of that, handing it out. This is my, that, my body, which is broken for you. Do this to remember me. I think he knew when he was doing that, they don't get it yet. But they will. They will. I always imagine this one, the biggest impact. Imagine him pouring out. Because many of them saw him later. This is my blood, the blood of the new covenant poured out for you. Imagine him pouring that out. Hearing that sound, seeing those sights of that. This, is the, the, this, this cup is the new covenant, my blood. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, he tells us, do this to remember. Now, we've already got it broken down for you in here. The cup has been poured. I'm going to have two guys come on up here. They're going to distribute these things. I want to encourage you today, while you're thinking through, do this truly to remember. I'm going to hand it to them. They're going to hand it out. I want you to hold that cup, right? It's got the bread in it. It's got the the cup, right? The juice in there. You're going to hold that thing. Everybody's going to get it, and then we'll go through again together and partake as followers of Jesus have done for 2,000 years. Partake together to remember. Heavenly Father, I do pray now that you would bless this bread and bless this cup as we partake of it together. Lord, I pray that you would help this to be a truly a moment of remembrance. God, I ask for those in this room that, that maybe they've thought previously, yeah, I believe. Lord, I know there can be some that have missed the goodness of the gospel message. I pray that today would be a day that they, you, you open up their eyes to see their own desperation of sin, their need of a Savior, and the truth of the Savior that you are. Bless this bread and this cup, Lord. In Christ's name I pray this. Amen.